In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. See, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people, Israel. Those were God's words to Amos. But I'm, I'm curious because when I planned this out, I thought I would lead with that. But as I hear these words read here, something else jumps out at me first. So indulge me for a moment. When the Lord, the, the setup here is that Amos is having these visions. What you don't have in front of you is in the Bible, in chapter 7 of Amos, there are two other visions that come to Amos before the plumb line. He saw locusts that were then eating all the grass, and then God showed Amos this calling for a shower of fire that devoured the deep and was eating up the land. And then we get to this vision of the Lord standing at a wall, and not just a regular wall. It says, beside a wall built with a plumb line. Now, if you're not a builder, I am not a builder, but my dad was an architect. A plumb line is a string that on the bottom of it is called a plumb bob. It's like a heavy piece of metal that's like oblong and maybe pointed at the end. And when you hang it, it hangs directly perpendicular to the ground. Well, I mean, assuming you have flat ground. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be straight. Even if you bend this arm that you may have it attached to, it's going to stay straight up and down. And you use that as a guide so that whatever you build, it's straight up and down. If you look at the Leaning Tower of Pisa, it's leaning more and more and more. Now, that's a foundational issue, but um, the, the plumb line is, is there so that whatever is constructed is upright and steady. So that's what the plumb line is in this case. It's this visual gauge of exact vertical orientation. But then we hear in this vision, the Lord says, Amos, what do you see? And I wonder, is that a trick question? Like, the Lord is standing there next to a wall. What is God expecting Amos to say here? Well, Amos picks out the plumb line, and good for Amos. But I'm still wondering, how would you know what to say you're seeing? Like, if, if John were to ask me, what do I see as I look out at this congregation? I mean, there are are 75 people maybe. I mean, there could be lots of you, or I could be looking at an empty pew. So I feel curious about this. But then we have this unfurling, and God says, see, I am setting a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel. God is putting this guidance in the middle of Israel. So here's why this grabs me. I went to seminary in Texas, in Austin, at the Seminary of the Southwest. And the chapel at the seminary is called Christ Chapel. And there's a narthex, a little gathering space outside the chapel that I spent a lot of time in after I had Robinson halfway through seminary because I would bring him to chapel, but as babies do, sometimes babies are noisy. 
and when they get to the point where they're more wiggly than not, um, I would spend a lot of time in the narthex with Robinson crawling around so I could at least be halfway present for worship. And I noticed in the narthex of this chapel was a sculpture. It's a sculpture of a tiny city with a metal beam and a plumb line hanging down, pointing into the city. There's a Bible open on a stand, and the Bible is opened to Amos chapter 7. And there's a brass marker, and that brass marker says, Amos, what seest thou? Amos, what do you see? So when I hear Amos chapter 7 today, I'm reminded and warmed of that formative time in seminary in Texas. And there's even more of a story behind this because the Seminary of the Southwest in Texas was begun by a bishop named John Hines. He grew up in South Carolina. Um, once he became a priest, he actually uh, went to seminary at VTS, where John went, um, and then moved around a little bit, ended up in Texas as a priest, and then became um, the bishop coadjutor, and then the diocesan bishop of the Diocese of Texas, and then he was elected the presiding bishop. He was the 22nd presiding bishop of our church. And he planted lots of churches, and he was adamant about sharing and proclaiming the good news of God. He planted like 41 churches across the country, maybe just in Texas, but I'm not sure. My facts may be a little bit off there. John Hines had prophetic vision. He integrated this truth that he saw, much like the prophet Amos, naming what he saw now and prophesying how things could be. And so for this sculpture to be in the narthex, into the entryway, into this chapel, so that those people being formed for ministry see visually this piece of scripture that points to how important it is to build a foundation across or upon the plumb line, but also highlighting, Amos, what seest thou? What is the vision that you see? Creating an invitation for those being formed for ministry to speak their vision. It's not just about learning something new. It's about bringing about a change, and John did that for the church. John would say, would have said, he, he died in 1997, he would say that he was theologically conservative and socially progressive. You see, John was active in ministry during the 50s, well, he started in the 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s a lot of change in the United States during those decades. And so in an interview in 1965 when he was presiding bishop, he said that he pushed against the dualism or the mindset of having a spiritual life and the material world. He pushed against that division. He countered that this is all a sacramental world, 
all of it. Seeing that God's gift and blessing is rolled up in all of this, it couldn't be parsed out one to the other. And so John gained attention for, number one, his charisma. But he also had this stance that Christian values must converge with racism and poverty. We must be fully integrated in our beliefs. If we say we are Christian, how are we living that out in life? What does that look like? And so in the 1950s and 60s, this was a really germane conversation at the time, and he challenged people. He challenged people of faith to engage in the world. He said, for we are obligated to speak out in the interest and welfare and justice of all persons. We are obligated to speak out in the interest and welfare and justice of all persons. You see, John followed the Lord's command in Amos chapter 7, go prophesy to my people. And see, he answered that call. He worked to allay the rifts of poverty and the disparities among people of color during the 50s and 60s. As presiding bishop in response to race riots in 1967, he created grants to give to religious organizations and non-religious organizations to benefit people of color, to benefit black people and minorities distributing them by the Episcopate. He saw it as the church's role to respond, to help balance this deep chasm that was created by the haves and the have-nots, and he wanted to reconcile that. So he took the, some money from the Episcopal church, created grants, and gave them away, freely given, gifts freely given. He didn't track to see how money was spent. People simply submitted requests and received money. Now, if you know anything about prophets, you know that, like with John the Baptist, if you have a list of people you're inviting over for a luncheon after church, prophets are probably not high on your list of people that you want to be there. They are awkward. They are divisive. If you're having a get-together after church, you might want to just stay in the garden. That way there's more space to spread out. Because prophets aren't always the most popular. Because they speak the truth. John Hines recognized a truth and a need, and so he responded. And he was not the most popular of presiding bishops when he did that. There were ripples that happened. Doug probably knows a lot more than I do. <laughs> there were ripples. People left the church. They moved their money elsewhere. There were deep effects because this prophet stayed true to the call. Nevertheless, John Hines' leadership at that time as presiding bishop in his charisma and in his prayerfulness cultivated an environment that would continue affirming the voices and ministry of women, of minorities, laying the pathway for all voices, even today, to be valued as children of God 
and as children of God, baptized into this ministry of all people, inviting all people of all kinds to do God's work. So John Hines resigned as bishop in 1974. He was 63, so it wasn't like he had to retire, but he was pretty unpopular. There was discord. People weren't happy about how the money had been spent. He actually was also, while charismatic, was not a very good administrator. He was much more social justice-minded and wanted to be out and not managing. So while he put um, structures in place that needed administration, he wasn't the best manager of those things. So he stepped down. His last day was May 31st, 1974. The Philadelphia 11, the first 11 women ordained as priests in the Episcopal Church, were ordained July 29th, 1974. So while he was not presiding bishop when those first 11 women were ordained, he had laid the path and was an advocate for women to become priests in the Episcopal Church. You see, we hear in Amos chapter 7, the Lord calling Amos by name. Right? He says, Amos, what do you see? And as we look at the life and ministry of John Hines, the Lord called John Hines by name. John, I need you. And the Lord is still calling to prophets. Because as we hear from Amos, Amos is not from a long line of prophet families. That's not his vocation. And yet God calls him. God called John and God calls you and me, asking us, what do you see? What seest thou? What is your vision? What truth of God's are you called to speak? And who needs to hear that? Because that plumb line, that straight up and down plumb line, serves as direction, but also a warning, because for that which is outside of that straight up and down, it's likely to topple. There is danger and consequence. And as I think about that straight up and down plumb line, I think about our Nicene Creed and how we say that Jesus came down from heaven, from heaven to earth. And then at the ascension, Jesus went from earth to heaven along that same guide, that same strength. So I pray today that you feel inspired by the witness of John Hines, that you feel empowered by the prophet Amos. I think John Hines would tell us that as we listen for how God is calling us to speak and move, that we would be charitable and loving in the things that we say. And our lives need to follow those words. John was a man of word and action. He challenged the Episcopal Church to fall into that plumb line of being fully integrated in word and deed. Something else John Hines modeled was that when a truth is shared and spoken, 
It's not to be spoken of at a distance. We are to move close to where we want to make a change. We are to move toward injustice rather than just talking about how bad injustice is. We are called to move toward reconciliation. We are called to move toward healing. If we're passionate about hunger, then we move into the space of feeding those in need. Reminds me of Brian Stevenson from the Equal Justice Initiative who talks about getting proximate, getting close to those who are different from us, for those who are in need, because when we draw close to those, we are changed in surprising ways. And as we are called by God to straighten up, to get closer to that plumb line, we know that God is with us. So today, may you proclaim the good news. May seeds of God's goodness be planted in you and know that the Lord is still calling your name. So lift your voice. Amen.